Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose their soul? Or what can anyone gain in exchange for their soul? Church is a simple truth that we need to empty ourselves of our worldly wants, our worldly desires, and surrender them to the Lord. Take our cross and follow him.
about wanting more of him, sing about surrendering all to him, we sing about being in his presence. And all of that begins when we walk through the doors into this place. So we go to prayer this morning. We were reminded last week, if you come expecting, he's here. He makes himself known. If you've come for other reasons, then it's easy to get distracted or to allow our minds to wander and then to miss out what God has for us here today. So beyond the words of the songs we've sang, it begins with our hearts, the expectations we have when we come into this place. 
He is our audience. We are the worshipers. So we go to him in prayer this morning. Let's give him the space that he needs to get our hearts in the right place to hear from him this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you today. Undoubtedly, Father, in a group this size, there's a lot of things waiting for us. A lot of things on our calendars and schedules. A lot of burdens, Lord, that we've undoubtedly carried in to this place this morning. Things that would naturally distract us. Responsibilities, Lord, that are real. Things that await us in the coming week. Father, I pray this next hour together, those things wouldn't get in the way of us hearing your voice, of feeling your presence. Lord, I know you desire to draw close to us. Now, Father, I pray we would choose to draw close to you. For those, Lord, that are lonely, tired, stressed out, anxious, for those, Father, that are grieving, that are uncertain, that are unsure, just put your arm around them, reassure them, help them just to rest. Rest in your presence in this time we have together. I pray, Lord, for those that have had a good week, where where there have been so many opportunities where they've seen you at work, God, that we would offer you praise. That we, Lord, with thankful hearts, uh, would recognize where the good things in our lives come from. God, we would just put our place, put ourselves, Lord, in a posture just of worship today. Undoubtedly, God, there's some heavy things waiting for us, Lord, but that's just it. They're waiting. Right now, Father, we want to be with you. Lord, rend our hearts before you. Receive our praises. Receive our requests. Receive our burdens. Lord, help us just to recognize that we are are in your presence. Help us not to miss that. Because every time, Lord, we see in Scripture where you encounter, where your people encountered you, their lives were changed. And maybe, Lord, today you want to change a life that has an intersection with you this morning. Father, thank you for a faith family, Lord, we get to be a part of, the opportunity to worship you this morning. Be with us, Father, I pray. Open up our hearts to hear what you have for us. Add to our story, add to your story, God. When I sit down in my office on the times I get to have some regular time in the office, I'll start to prepare for just different seasons of ministry. And one of those responsibilities I have is service planning, sermon planning. And there's times when it's easy, when it seems to just really come and I know what God wants to do. There's other times when I've really got to dig a little bit and just spend some time waiting for him to kind of reveal to me what's next. And there's moments where I'll come up, I'll, I'll plan several months out. Uh, beginning next Sunday, I'm planned throughout the rest of the year, which is a really good feeling for me. And some even plan further out than that. I'm, I, I don't like to plan that far out ahead. But, but uh, the, during the summer months, there was this gap, if you will, of, of space. I wasn't sure what God wanted. And, and he has uh, provided and, and kind of helped us these last couple of weeks. But there was always this Sunday on my calendar that 
still wasn't full. And I was this Sunday. I said, well, what do you want me to do on August 6th, God? I'm not sure what that was going to look like. And God always had a plan. You're going to learn, get to experience that plan here in just a few moments. But uh, his plans are always better than ours, aren't they? Um, they certainly are, and I'm glad for that. Uh, he doesn't always reveal them to us in the time that we would like them to be revealed, but he always shows up. Um, but what we're going to talk about today, what you're going to hear today, is a beautiful story, one of grace, grace in so many different forms, uh, one of hurt, uh, one of struggle. Uh, but in this, in this story, there's this beautiful word, uh, but there, there's a moment where God changes the direction. And, and those changing moments, those but moments, are beautiful moments. We can see God at work in our lives, not just in the life story you're going to hear today, but in all of our lives. If, if we just pause, God will remind us of those moments where he's shown up. And these last couple of weeks, I've been talking about dipping and dwelling, dipping and dwelling, using this image of a teacup and a tea bag. And obviously those of us who, who kind of dip our tea bags, one of these revealed to me this week is, we tend to live life, and we, we treat church, treat our relationship with God as, as we're asking the question, how does God fit into my life? We dip the bag in and out of the water. But something amazing happens when, when you change that, when you flip it over, when you become someone who dwells in him, who spends time dwelling in, and out of our dwelling, uh, learning how to pray and, and learning how to read his word and, and even how to approach him in the dwelling. When we dwell, we, we flip that paradigm. And, and now it's not just about how does God fit into our lives, but now the, the story becomes how do we fit into God's story? And we only discover that through dwelling. And the two are distinctly different. I hope you caught that. One is we try to fit God into our story. The other is we recognize God's trying to fit us into his story. We have a place in his story. Your story matters in the, in, in, in the way that it helps others come to know who he is. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing to come to that realization, to come to that acceptance, to come to that point where we, we let God have control of the pen, so to speak, and let him write our stories. For his glory. In scripture, we see a couple of different examples of this, of, of challenging moments where, where God in his creativity does things that maybe we wouldn't allow or even choose. The first one is found in Genesis in chapter 45. It talks about a man named Joseph. And we know about Joseph's story. Joseph had a lot of brothers and he wasn't well liked because Joseph was kind of arrogant. He was the favorite youngest son at the time. And uh, he got this coat of many colors. He was despised his brothers to the point where they sold him as a slave. He was taken to Egypt. So Joseph goes to Egypt as a slave. He then is accused of a crime he doesn't commit and is arrested. And from going from a slave, he's thrown into prison. And for 12 years of his life, Joseph is either in slavery and bondage or he's in jail. And he hadn't done anything wrong. None of it was his fault. But yet here he finds himself in this very challenging situation and I'm sure there were seasons of Joseph's life where he's asking a lot of questions, where there was some, probably some angry conversations between he and this God, yet he really didn't quite yet know. But there's also times, I believe, in that jail cell, perhaps, where Joseph learned to dwell. And it's in the dwelling that we find this incredible response in chapter 45 of Genesis, when Joseph, after being taken away from his family at 17 years of age, he's now 30 years old, and before him, in the midst of a famine, stand his brothers, the ones who sold him. I think we often miss the uh, intense emotions that had to be re present in this interaction. We read in verse or chapter 45 where Joseph can't control himself upon seeing his brothers emotionally. 
But then quickly in verse 3, he goes to his brother and says, I am Joseph. Very first question for them, is my father still living? His brothers, not able to answer them, were terrified at his presence, as well they should have been. But then in verse 4, come close to me. Can you see his brothers? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God had a plan. God always has a plan. Even right now, and for your life, God has a plan. We don't always see it. We don't always recognize him at work, but God has a plan. Jump to the book of Acts, if you will, Acts chapter 9. We read about a man named Saul. And Saul, at this point in time, is of the religious rulers uh, in, in the sect of the Pharisees. And he, he's, he was present at Stephen's stoning. He, he's now arresting Christians. And he's been given permission to go to Damascus, where the church is spreading, if, if you will, and to arrest those that are sharing the good news in Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, Saul has an encounter. Have you been driving and God starts to speak to you while you're driving? Aren't you, aren't you glad that he speaks to you? And you'll see this bright light in your eyes as you're driving. Aren't you glad for that? But Saul has this bright light moment where, where God shows up and, and Jesus intersects Saul on the road to Damascus. And he calls out, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul says, well, who are you, Lord? Saul did not yet really know God. He knew a lot about God, but didn't yet know God. I like to word it like this. Saul had spent a lot of his life dancing around God, but had not yet chose to dance with God. Many of us live our lives the same way. We know all about God and what the Scripture says and what we find in the Bible, but we've not yet chosen to surrender our lives to him. So here is Saul, not even recognizing the provenient grace present in his life, and God's trying to get his attention. All the while, Saul has a skill set that God needed. He was a Roman citizen. Very important in in, in this day and age when when Israel is being occupied by Rome. He was a Roman citizen. That gave him benefits, that gave him privileges that you didn't otherwise have. He was also a religious leader, a scholar. He understood what was in uh, God's word at this time. He, he knew what it said. He was very intelligent. He was also very skilled at making tents. So, so the term tent maker becomes a reality. He was able to support himself in the ministry that God would call him to. So Saul has this, this certain skill set that was needed to share a, a gospel, a good news message that was just beginning to take off. And Saul would become one of the greatest missionaries that we've ever known. All the while God was preparing Saul to become Paul, he never even realized it. So just as God uses our hurts, our struggles, those difficult moments in our lives for his glory, God also uses our skill set and the things that we've done in our lives to prepare for what maybe we want to do for his purposes and glory. Today you're going to hear a story where God does these two things simultaneously in someone's life, taking difficult moments, hurtful moments but also skill sets and gifts and prepare them and combine them in such a way that only he can. In his creativity, in his, in his beautiful way of thinking and doing things, he makes something out of the, the messes that we often make of our lives. It's not my story to share, but I wanted Chloe to come and she's going to share her testimony with you today. And we're, we're going to just uh, enjoy this together and, and hear God in the midst of it. So I want to just invite her to join me this morning. Is this thing working? Yes, it is. Fabulous. 
Hi, I'm Chloe. Now this is, this is where you all say, hi, Chloe. <laughs> Many of you know me, some of you don't. If you don't snag me after service, I'd love to introduce myself. I have five things that I think are important to know about me. Number one, my favorite color is pink. If I'm not wearing black, I'm wearing pink, except for on this occasion, because my shirt's about to get wet. My closet looks like Barbie and Morticia Adams became roommates. <laughs> Number two, I'm an author. I love reading and books, and I'm a slight hoarder of books. My goal is 1,000 books, because according to Google, that makes my house a library. Number three, I'm happily married with three kids, and I thrive in that absolute chaos. Number four, I grew up a pastor's kid, and I have church heart. Number five, I'm a sinner, and every page of my story glorifies God. My dad served in the United Methodist Church for 20 years, I believe. If I'm wrong, I'm, I'm sure you'll correct me later. So for all of my upbringing, I have seen the best and the worst the church has to offer. Our lives, all six of us in the family, revolved around the church. So much so, I can remember being so excited to sing Amazing Grace in my school's talent show when I was about six or seven, because I was gonna be like the best pastor's daughter ever of my class of like 10 people. The whole school maybe had like 80. Most days were spent roaming the halls of the church and causing as much mischief as possible, including like going upstairs to the bell tower and ringing it, even though it was not time to ring it. As a PK for the United Methodist Church, we moved so much. It was under John Wesley's example of moving from church to church to share the gospel. Every couple of years, we'd move. It's, it's honestly a pretty lonely life. You're hesitant to make new friends because you'll leave them anyways. You're the pastor's kid, so anything you do comes back to your parents. There isn't much in the way of extended family relationships because you, you move so much. One second, you're up by Cleveland, and the next you're down by Dayton, and then you're smack dab in the middle near Columbus. Luckily, we had a pretty tight-knit family, so my brothers were my besties and also my nemesis. I'm watching you guys. But the concept of hometown or home was lost on me. Our whole world was flip side, upside down in our last church my dad served. It was a nightmare for all of us. I would hear constant gossip about my dad and my mom from leaders in our church, people who are supposed to be good Christians were gossiping about my family with me right there. I was assaulted by a senior boy who broke my ribs, dislocated my spine, and bruised my kidney. I was met with disbelief 
from my church because he was a good boy when I should have been supported and loved. My dad would give, would give sermons, and if they were not happy-go-lucky, there would be complaints and more rumors and gossip. My dad would seek advice from his bishop, his leader, and be turned away. When it was time for us to move again, my dad took sabbatical and never re returned to United Methodist Church. We ended up moving into a rental so Clay and I could finish out high school in the same school district we had lived in for the past two years. The devil saw our hurt and took it to his advantage. There was so much anger in our house. Every time I came home, felt like navigating a minefield. Would mom have a hard day suddenly becoming the breadwinner, the sole provider, and scream at me for not doing the dishes or become angry and punish me for not doing a chore that I didn't see the point of? Would I say something, anything, that would set off my dad who had just lost everything? Church hurt is deadly, folks. Would today be another screaming match between the two of us? The noise that came from that house we resided in was not joy, but slamming doors, frustration, and bitterness. I had no control over any of it. But I had faith God would turn it around. But my timing and God's are so very different. I had finally felt I could make friends. I could keep things even though we were crumbling at home. I felt I had a sense of per permanency until one of my closest friends my freshman year committed suicide. Grief creates so much anger in us. I felt bitterness and anger, but I kept, I kept trying to be faithful and keep my morals, no drugs, no drinking, no sex. We're gonna fast forward when I fell apart when evil and sin truly came specifically for me. The very next year on a school trip to Florida, I was so ecstatic for it. There was so much hurt at home, I was really excited for the reprieve, right? We marched with the band in Disney World. It was so cool. That night, we came back to the hotel. After lights out, me and my roommates got into a fight like preteen girls do, teenage girls do. And I took my Bible into the hallway, my shield, my safety. Nothing can go wrong when you have your Bible, right? Out into the hallway. Our school had hired security, and the guard on shift noticed and sat by me. He spent an hour talking to me about conspiracies about the Bible, misleading things, and convincing me of unbiblical truths. Then he kissed me. A 26-year-old kissed a 15-year-old. I freaked out. I didn't know how to respond or what to do. He became angry, and he told me he was taking me to see a teacher since I was out after lights out, but he didn't. He took me to a stairwell, and he stole from me my last piece of sanity, my sense of safety, and any hope I had left in God. 
I was so angry. I said, God, your people are monsters. You let them hurt us. Your church hurts us even when we run from it. I was good. I did what I was supposed to do. And I left you in control. And you let this happen again and again. I am taking things into my own hands. So you know what happens when we take control? Things get out of control. I'm going to warn all of you parents right now. Do not get your teens a fire ladder for the second floor. The ones that fold up and go in the closet and you get out in an emergency, let them jump and break their legs. <laughs> let the firemen use theirs to rescue them, because I used that sucker to sneak out almost every night. I was using, I was drinking, and I was giving my body to anyone who wanted it. I took control so I could feel nothing. I played a role at home, at church, and I brought my broken self everywhere else. My grades dropped, and I felt absolutely empty. I somehow managed to get accepted to art school despite me sleeping through class. It's an art school, so it kind of makes sense. I luckily had teachers and people who made me want to show up to school every day. Otherwise, I know that Chloe well enough. She wouldn't have been at school, and my poor parents would have had to deal with a truancy officer. When the time came to graduate, my parents came to me and asked me to wait to go to college so I could help care for my grandparents so they wouldn't get put in a nursing home. I agreed, totally. Partially because I loved my grandparents, but also because I didn't want to go. I didn't want school. I knew I was gonna fail it, I wasn't good enough. Everything else in my life went south, and that probably would too. Then dad got told he had cancer, and it had spread, and the outlook was grim. Strike 953 against God, right? So my dad battled cancer, we moved to a place big enough for all of us, we moved here in Marysville, and we started attending here at the Nazarene. My grandfather and I celebrated our birthdays in December, and he passed a few days after. Dad had surgery and thankfully went into remission. And I was still numbing everything. I sat in that very seat, hung over more than once, my grandmother nudging me to keep me awake. Then that February, I ran into Brock, my husband, at Bob Evans with his daughter. Brock was one of my brother's close friends that I had a crush on when I was 13. I even prayed to God to let me marry him. Our timing is very different than God's. <laughs> I hadn't seen him since our mutual friend's wedding, but I had pray, played and interacted with his daughter many times. Her aunt was my freshman and from, for band, She'd bring her often, so we were excited to see each other. Brock and I exchanged phone numbers, and we still argue over who asked who to lunch. We started dating, and I knew I had to shift my whole life to help him raise his daughter. Even though I hated church, 
I wanted to raise my kid in it. My parents raised me in it. It's just what you do, I told myself. Not admitting that it was really the Holy Spirit moving. Brock at the time was an atheist and not raised in the church, but allowed me to bring her to church with me. Eventually, he started coming because he should see where I was taking his daughter. Then he started coming weekly to support us. What he nor I knew, God was going to use that little girl to bring us home to him. We went through a four-year on-and-off custody battle. The details are not mine to share. That's Harley's testimony. We got married during that absolute insanity. And at the end, Brock was awarded sole custody. Each of those pieces of that case was truly God. When court ended, I left with nothing but anger and bitterness in my heart for Harley's mom. I resented her so much, and that just eats away at you. And we still attended church. And what I didn't know was God was using Harley. While we sleepily sat in the seats listening to sermons, she'd come home ecstatic and tell us everything she had learned. I was more excited for her sermons than our pastor's sermons most Sundays. God worked on Brock's heart. He began opening himself to God. And I still had a wall around me with a sign plastered on it saying, no solicitors. I wasn't trying to make friends or be a part of our church. I just wanted to be a seat warmer. God had other plans and came in like a wrecking ball. Harley was about to start her first day of kindergarten, and I felt the Holy Spirit move in me, and I told him to buzz off. Every day, the same feeling and thought was placed in my head. Forgive her and ask for forgiveness. Call her, forgive her, and ask for forgiveness. I spent all summer having the walls torn down piece by piece. Finally, about two weeks before school, I said, fine. I'll just do it to get this thought out of my head. She won't even pick up. I pressed call, and after three rings, she picked up. She answered, and I remember it very clearly. What the beep do you want? I can remember the feeling that someone, someone else was using my voice almost. And I said, I called to say I'm sorry and I want you to come to Harley's first day of school. We spent three hours, three whole hours on that phone. Tears and bitterness released from us and a weight I didn't even know was there lifted from my shoulders. I heard something in my heart. Stop blaming me for what the devil and the world do I am here to help. Now I'm going to fast forward a little to about four years ago. When God placed Geneva Massey and Mary Gingry on my path. Paul asked me if I would take Miss Geneva from Bluebird to church. I liked Geneva, so of course I said yes. I didn't realize it, but 
God was screaming essentially at me to look at him, that he was healing me. My conversations with Geneva those Sundays mornings healed my hurt more than I realized at that time. We talked about everything from the weather to her faith or what would happen since death was knocking on her door. She encouraged me to be more involved and I'd smile and say, oh, I just don't have the time. I'd drive Geneva to church on Sundays. I'd be greeted by Mary Gingery with a hug who would invite me to a, another church event or tell me how wonderful my children were. I was getting excited to see them. Then Geneva was moved to Hilliard and passed shortly after. Mary continued to introduce me to people and encourage me. I started coming to events I knew Mary would be at and dragged my poor mom with me because I don't like going places alone. <laughs> I met my best friend, Dana, that fall. She was the first friend that was, was a Christian, a, a true Christian, not, not who I was being. I was wearing the label and not acting or behaving or even thinking about Christ anytime outside of here. She has as much church hurt as I do we talked and we conversed and expressed our feelings and man, oh man, did God place someone who would call me out on my excuses in my life. Then COVID hit and the word froze and suddenly I was homeschooling and once again alone, there was no church to come to. Couldn't even see my best friend for weeks. We watched service online with the kids and I fell in love with homeschooling. Decided it was for me and reached out to the only person I knew who homeschooled, our worship leader, Amy. Amy set me up for schooling and then I was like, wow, this chick's pretty cool. I should try and hang out with her more. Then we came back to church and God, God was moving. I wasn't, but he was. Rory's best friend is Reed and his mom is Mara, our children's pastor. I started taking Rory Reed to play with Rory on quizzing Thursdays and getting to know Mara and Amy more. And I, I still cannot pinpoint when or how, but Mara, Amy, and Dana became people, women, Christians that I looked up to. God began moving in me when I had Izzy. In the middle of the madness of COVID, these women sat with me. We had dinners and talked about Jesus, faith, and our church, and so much more. I started coming to all events so I could spend time and get to know Mara and Amy better. I began picking up my Bible and actually reading it. Over the next year, I went to collectives and events. I didn't realize it, but I, I was becoming a face people recognized. It was so weird. I had only ever really felt noticed by my husband and by my children. And then I heard that voice again, feeling those thoughts in my head that were not my own. It's time. I want more. I gave you gifts and used them. I said, I have nothing to give. I have no talent. I have no gifts. 
Then Paul asked me the following Sunday, Pastor Paul asked me the following Sunday, exactly, to paint for his Christmas series. My automatic reaction in my mind was no. But what came out was sure, I'd love to. I walked away mentally going, no! I then began painting four huge canvases of Joseph and Jesus, the pregnant Mary, the shepherds, and the wise men. I finished them, gave them to Amy to set up, and God said, I have more for you to use your gifts for. The Mother's Day came. I shared a connection moment about my unique journey of motherhood. I walked off stage, and I felt I need more. I love working with kids. So I went to Mara and said, put me where you need me. I don't care. Toss me wherever. Over the past two years of serving with our kids, my faith has grown so much. No one has more faith in Jesus than a kid. They truly believe Jesus is the answer to everything. Who built the ark? Jesus. Was two plus two? Jesus. What are you having for dinner tonight, bud? Jesus. After this, I began relying on the Holy Spirit more. Then he said, declare me as your Lord. And I said, I do, clearly. And God said, get baptized and declare my son as your savior. I was confused. In the United Methodist Church, you have infant baptisms, similar to dedications. I was already baptized. I shouldn't get baptized again. Then I got to know Mara more in her testimony. God put it on my heart to ask her about baptism. She sent me a text about how she also had had an infant baptism. But those are not non-consensual. And it's not my choice and it's not me declaring the Lord. But she then had been baptized in her journey to sanctification. I said, okay, fine, I'll ask Brian. I'll get baptized on the next New Life Sunday. Then I found out my parents were out of town. And I allowed my own fears and anxieties to overrule me. I turned down the opportunity. Mom and dad and work gonna be there. It's a perfect excuse, right? I thought, well, maybe this is a sign I shouldn't. Maybe I'm misleading myself. Maybe I'm becoming too churchy and becoming those people I hated. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And I told Brian, maybe next time. Months passed, and I took the Psalms Collective with Brian. Brian asked, hi, buddy. Hi. Months passed, and I took the Psalms Collective with Brian. Brian asked us our weakness, and I joked and said, obedience. I'm a rebel at my core. I, I, I am not great with authority. And, and as I joke about it, I felt, I felt something that I still can't describe, almost in, ugh, why did you say that? And I'm funny. I never regret my jokes. I'm hilarious. <laughs> Lenina was babysitting our kids so I could go to collective, right? I took her home. 
I drove past an officer who was sitting at that other church, the gathering over by the dog park. God said, go pray with him. I ignored. I took Lenina home, and I drove past that officer again on my way home. God said, go pray with him. I kept driving. I hit the light right by the school, and I felt, I felt this fiery feeling in my chest, and words appeared in my heart and in my mind. Chloe, you claim I am Lord, but you are not obedient. The light turned green. I drove, and he continued in me. I felt I needed to pull into the church parking lot, so I did. I cannot describe it. I don't understand it now. I feel embarrassed, a little crazy, even speaking about it at this moment. I parked, and I opened my heart, and I heard him say, you proclaim me to yourself, but no one else. You are disobedient to the point of joking with your pride in your rebellion. Did I not protect you even in your rebellion? Have I not healed your hurt? Have I not shown you my goodness? You prayed for home, you prayed for sanctuary, and I gave it. Be the humble servant I know you to be, and go pray with him. Let go of this hurt and pride and be in me. I tore out of our parking lot, a little dramatically if I say so. Drove to that other church's parking lot. I, I want you to get a really good picture in your mind. I'm, I do not look like an evangelist. I am tattoos. I'm, right now, my clothing matches the vibe right now with Jesus right on the middle. But... At this moment, I was in a wife beater and sweatpants, and my hair was up like this. And nothing but anxiety and fear still was there beating in my chest. Still walked over and knocked over on his window. The second he began to roll down that window... All of my fears and anxiety were washed away. It's not my place to share. But I can tell you right now that that officer needed to be prayed with. I don't know what effect I had, but I know God does. I got in my car and I drove home with a fire lit under my butt. As a new, new life Sunday came up, this time... I actually knew I couldn't participate. My parents would be gone for their anniversary trip. I can't ask to do a different day, but God said, I want more. I want it all. I want all of you. I've shown you my church and what this is supposed to be. You must give me all of you. Fast forward a little. We're really skipping a lot of the movies, sorry guys. Reed had his birthday. I mentioned wanting to be baptized tomorrow. And Mara responded with, we don't have to do it on New Life Sunday. You know that, right? And then fear filled my heart again. I don't know why, talking to one of my closest friends, but anxiety and fear and just, ugh, was in me. And I felt heavy and sick. 
And then the tornado sirens went off. We all hauled up in Ryan and Mara's basement. I sat there listening, talking, and watching. And like Jesus asked in Mark 440, why are you afraid? Look around you. I took it in because I had long-lasting friends. My children were not growing up with the same church hurt that I did. They had close friends that would be lifelong. They played and they smiled. And my husband, who is now a born-again Christian, talked and laughed with his brother in Christ, Ryan. This was church, and this was how God healed my bitter heart. There was a literal tornado outside, and there I am at peace. The following Sunday, after church, I talked to Brock and asked him, should I get baptized this time, next time, what should I do? And with all of his wisdom, he shrugged at me. I don't know. Thanks, very helpful. Then two days later, we get a text from Brian. And now I'm here standing in, well, sitting. I wrote standing in originally, my bad. In front of the church family God gave me, the church family he intended for me to be a part of, to show his glory. I want to be baptized here in this church. The people that God used to facilitate my healing To bring me home, I never had a home on this earth. But that's because my home is with him and with his people. God is calling me for more and more. My time, my money, my very being. And after so long of rebelling against him, I want to give it all to him and declare him as my Savior, and continue on his path because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm ready whenever you are, and I know he's waiting. Wow. When Chloe first shared her story with me, I went, well, Lord, what are you going to do with this? And I offered the opportunity to be baptized today. and She says, well, I don't want to be an inconvenience. Well, there's nothing inconvenient about baptism, right? That's why we're here, to celebrate God's grace and what he's doing in our lives. And so um, thankfully, uh, I'd love to do this every week. So if you have a story of God's grace in your life, well, we'll leave it up. It's, that's a beautiful thing. It's something we need to celebrate more of. So, um, Chloe, it's going to be a real pleasure, pleasure and an honor to, to share in your story today. I want to invite you. We're going to go ahead and step back there. And thanks to Bob Brake and his creativity. He put a heater on the back of this tub, so it's not <laughs> ice water anymore. <laughs> and we're so glad for that. But I'm going to have you go ahead and come in and have you face the cross this morning. Come. Okay. 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 I know you said it's supposed to be warm. It's not. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> eh, she's making it up. So it's all right. Okay. I have a few questions. As you have a few family members coming to watch.
close it your confession today that you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Do you profess today that Jesus Christ, declaring that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Yes. As your desires, we move forward from this day to live your life in such a way as to share healing with others, to share grace with others, to bring glory to God through all you say and do. Absolutely. You put one hand on your nose, hold on to your wrist. An honor and privilege, Chloe, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. I'm excited that God still is working in people's lives today. And I'll offer, just like I did last week, if you want to come get wet today and baptize and profess Him as Lord, I'm already wet, so come on, let's, let's do this. But, I'm going to um, really wet, too. <laughs> no, but it is a pleasure and a joy to celebrate these God moments in the life of our church and lives of those that are part of our church. And what I loved about her story, <laughs> what I love about her story is that you are instruments of God's healing. You are instruments of God's grace. And real healing comes when now Chloe becomes an instrument of healing for others. Real grace is real in your life. Well, you've received grace when then you begin to share grace. You've forgiven when you share the story of forgiveness with those who still need to be forgiven. That's what we're about. And I'm so excited to share in this moment. And I'm glad you got to hear her story. You're staying with me this morning. I'm not your typical service, I understand. But God has certainly been here. I hope you, if you heard from him today. And we're so thankful for what he has done and what he's going to continue to do. Let's pray. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. <laughs> Seems inadequate. So many of us can understand and relate to her story. But God, it's not just that. It's your story. She's part of it. Lord, it's your family that now, Lord, she's part of. And God, I pray in the days, months, years ahead, as she shares, as others hear, as we share, as others hear our story, Lord, they'd be drawn to you. Because you're still chasing after us. You're still pursuing those that are far from you. And Lord, we get to be a part of that. It's a beautiful thing. It's what grace is all about. Thank you, Lord, for the so many examples of grace that we've seen and heard today. Help us to be grace as we go about your business, Lord, as we leave this place we are sent people. Help us to share, Lord, with those who don't yet know you of the hope that we find in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Christ's name we celebrate today all that will be shared in together. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. You are sent people. Go and share what you've seen. God bless you.